or stay turned to Psalm, the 15th Psalm. One of my nightmares, literal nightmares, recurring dreams, and it's a nightmare, is to be exposed and not ready. It might be in the locker room of my high school basketball game, and I don't have my shoes or my uniform, and I'm not ready, I'm not fit, and I'm exposed as unfit. Or it might be that I show up at a service and I'm not ready to preach a sermon. What about for you? Do you have those kinds of dreams? Maybe not. Being exposed is unfit. I don't know anyone who likes to undress themselves into a hospital gown, lay on a moving bed, and be thrust into a long, narrow cavern that takes images for several minutes of your body as you lay still and endure the haunted house's noises of the cameras as they examine the insides of your bodies, a CT scan. All of this to find out if, everything, if anything's out of place or if there's something wrong, all with the purpose of getting treatment to get help to deal with a problem, a disease, or an injury. And it can be a gift. Well, this morning's text is a for entering the temple, a psalm for the church that can function like a spiritual CT scan, or I like to call it a, scan, a CT scan for our soul. There's three simple parts in this psalm. It's only five verses. Three simple parts. Number one, two overlapping questions. Lord, who shall dwell in your presence? And then most of the psalm is verses 2 through the, almost the end of verse 5, a response to that question. With 10 or 11 or 12, different people answer with different questions. They make the list a little bit different, but up to 12 different requirements or attributes or characteristics of a person who is able to dwell with the Lord. That's most of the psalm. And then the final point or part of this psalm is a promise at the end of the very last phrase. There's a promise. The person who's allowed fellowship, who does these things, will never be shaken. Now, this morning, I want to I expose you and put you into the CT scan of this text. That is what God's Word does. It examines our lives and our, our hearts, and this psalm surely does it. But I want to I warn you and prepare you and, and, and teach you as we go through the psalm with three qualifiers or, requi- or things, clarifiers about these requirements. What I'm going to say in these This passage, especially the 12 requirements of standing in the presence of God, they are not a to-do list for gaining salvation. I don't want you to think that you come here and say, I need to do these so that I know that I can be saved someday and so that God will accept me. It doesn't work like that. They are not a list, a to-do list to gaining salvation, but a description of what salvation brings in our lives. Salvation is not by works, but it does cause works. Faith is not alone. Faith without works is dead. 
Works are an evidence of our faith. But you will not be saved by this list today. And I know you know that, but you are called to this list, every one of you. Also, this list, these requirements, are not a mere checklist to obtain God's favor so he's happy so that you can have spiritual good karma this week if you keep these things. But they are characteristics of a person who longs for fellowship with God himself and indeed already experiences fellowship with God. And thirdly, this list is not meant to be a prod to stir up in you self-righteousness as you go, done, 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 done. Hey, I'm pretty good. Let's go about my day. Or despair. Oh, guilty, 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 I'm undone. What do I do? But they are to be characteristics of, they, but, but they are a tool for humble self-examination, confession to God, repentance, and, and growth in our lives. I, I believe, just like my study of this passage over this last week has exposed things in my life and caused me to repent, to be convicted, I hope you are as well because I believe you will be if you will be listening and I pray that the Holy Spirit will be speaking. So let's just look at these three, three parts of this sermon or this psalm. The first we see is a searching question in verse one. You see the searching questions? The searching questions, but they're one question because this is Hebrew parallelism. They're, they're really saying the same thing. Oh Lord, who shall sojourn in your, our tent? Who shall dwell in your holy hill? Very similar to Psalm 24. Who shall stand in his holy place? But here is a prayer to God. Oh Lord, who shall stand in your tent? Really the question here is, who can really enjoy fellowship with God? With Yahweh? With the I Am? This is a question about our souls, friends. This isn't just about who gets to show up at church and feel good about themselves. This isn't just an Old Testament who can actually go into the tabernacle of the Lord and be holy and stand before His presence. It's not just that. It's really who can have fellowship with God. Lord, who could dwell in a place where you dwell and enjoy the presence of worship with you? In the Old Testament, it meant this tent was the tabernacle where God would show His glory. For today... It is being saved. It is coming and worshiping Him with a right heart. It is having daily walk with God. It is someday being assured that you will stand before His presence. Who will enjoy and experience real fellowship with you, God? Only the truly saved person cares to be in the presence of God because he loves God. Do you want to be in the presence of God? If you do, it's because you love God. Otherwise, you, some people want heaven, but it's God. He's going to be there. That's great. I'd be able to ask him a lot of nice questions. I just want heaven. 
No, God's people want to be in the presence of God. Do you want to be in his presence? Others might say, I just want to be saved so I don't go to heaven or go to hell, but in heaven instead. And the reality of this question should drive deep into our hearts. It's deep and heavy. Who will experience fellowship with God? Who does? Many will read their Bibles and stay sexually pure and abstain before sex before marriage. Many will volunteer in the church and be baptized. Many will pray and say they got saved. Many will tithe and give of their times. And many will not swear and use their words pretty good. Many will vote according to their moral values. Many will give to missionaries. Many will pray before each meal. And many of those who do those things will find themselves on the outside. Jesus says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, I'm yours, will enter into the kingdom of heaven. But the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven, on that day, many will say, I did all these things in your name. And he'll say, depart from me, I never knew you. The will of the Father, according to Jesus, is to receive him into your hearts. The will of the Father is to love Jesus and to trust him. The will of the Father is to recognize that you need his intervention every single day. The will of the Father is to recognize that he is God and he is your Savior and you need him. It is to call to die to you to dwell with the Lord and experience his presence and his fellowship. Psalm 24, 27-4, David says, One thing have I asked of the Lord, this is what I seek after. If you say, what is it? What does he want? That I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. That I may gaze upon his beauty. I want you to just ponder this. The Lord. The one who had no beginning and has no end. God will never end. He is the absolute reality in the universe. He is absolutely independent and every single thing, you and me are absolutely dependent on him every second of our lives. Everything in all of the universe revolves around him. All the universe in compared to him is nothing. God is consistent forever, the same yesterday and today forever. He is the absolute standard of all truth and goodness and beauty. He does whatever he pleases and he only does what is right. He is always doing what is beautiful and all that accords with truth. He is the most important reality and person in the universe. And we should long to know him. I, pr- I believe there's some of us in this room because I can be this so often. Everything else seems so big and he's so small. There is nothing more important for our hearts to be in want that answer to this question. Who shall dwell and sojourn with you? Who shall dwell in your holy hill? Who will be in your presence? Oh God, help me to desire that more than anything. And you teens sitting up in the front or scattered throughout, young people, oh I pray that you at this age long for this question to be answered at the depths of your heart because you want to be in his presence. Not just go to heaven and be free from hell, but you'd know the God who made you. 
He is the only salvation. He is the only justice. He is the only mercy. He is the only sovereign and holy and wise and good God. He created you. He created all things. He sustained you and me by every moment of our lives. His will and his word is everything. His favor brings unimaginable pleasure and joy. And his wrath brings inexplicable horror and agony. So let us be attentive to the searching question. Who will dwell with you? Who can come in your presence? Let us listen. You see, there's two answers now to this. There's two answers to this question, two general questions. One, who's gonna, who will dwell with God in his presence and fellowship? Number one, we could ask, and it's not in this text specifically, it's all over this Bible. Those who are covered by God's gift of righteousness in Jesus that have been received by faith. And number two, it's evidenced by a changed heart, changed values, nature, new desires, and behaviors, right living, that we see in this psalm. This psalm answers that second one. I want you to see that no one will dwell joyfully in the presence of God, but in the wrath of God, unless first they come to realize they're nothing and they fall before God and they say, I need your rightness. I need your righteousness to be put on my account because I can't pay it all. You must do it all. And your son Jesus died on the cross and I look to you for forgiveness. Oh God, please save me through your son Jesus. I believe in him. He is my savior and he saves us. And when he does that, he starts to change us from the inside out. He puts his Holy Spirit in us. And this psalm is in a description of a person that has been changed and is being changed by God. And so I want you to see the convicting response in this psalm. He, there's, there's 12 requirements here. He who rocks blamelessly and does what is right and speaks truth to his, in his heart and who does no slander with his tongue and does not repay evil in his to his neighbor, nor takes up a reproach against his friend, in whose eyes a vile person is despised, but who honors those who fear the Lord, who swears to his own hurt and does not change, who does not put out his money at interest, does not take a bribe against the innocent. There are so many ways to describe what are in these verses. I want you to see these verses are not exhaustive. You, these, this is all you got to do. If you do all this, then you're in the presence of God, rightfully so. That's the person that is in God's presence. No, it's representative. David just took several things representing different things to talk about a life that is blameless and righteous before God. This list speaks about a person's walk of life centered in God and his covenant and to God's covenant people. And in this passage, we see that this, the man or woman with him, his tendencies will be godly. See that verse 2? His tendencies will be godly. He will, who walks blamelessly. He who does what is right. 
and he who speaks truth in his heart. His speech is restrained with truth. Verse 3, he does not slander, nor does he repay evil to his neighbor, nor takes a reproach against his neighbor. His affections are properly aligned. See verse 4, in whose eyes a vile person is despised, but honors those who fear the Lord. His integrity is true. He swears to his own hurt and does not change his mind when he made a promise. And his contentment is strong. Oh, he's contented. He's not greedy. He does not put out his money at interest. He does not take a bribe against the innocent. Now, I've thought about many ways of how do I quickly summarize these searching verses. That's what you need to do. You need to put yourself under the magnifying glass of this passage, the mirror of this passage, and say, God, are these things true in me? And where they're not, God, forgive me and help me. And I would say that if there is there's no fruit in your life, this message is meant to be that you're not saved yet and that you would turn to the only source of salvation, that's Jesus Christ, not trying to perform this list but to call upon the name of the Lord and ask Him to change your heart and free you. And He begins this work in you. I like how Alistair Begg, he summarizes these five verses or this this searching answer, this response, this revealing response. He says, this person with God, this person whose fellowship is with the Lord, the marks of a true believer are seen in his walk, in his talk, in his vote, and his dealings, and his walk, and his talk, and his vote, and his dealings. And when I say vote, I'm not talking about what political party you're going to vote for. I'm talking about something much deeper. First of all, his walk in these verses. Verse 2, this is a summarizing phrase. He who walks blamelessly and does what's right. See, this is similar to last week's message. The fool says in his heart there is no God, but the godly man realizes there's a God and he puts his trust in him. He walks blamelessly. This idea of blameless doesn't mean sinless perfection. This means that we're going to sin, but what we do when we sin, we cry out to God. This idea of blameless means wholehearted. The man, that come, the man or woman that comes in the presence of God, God grips them in such a way that there's a wholeheartedness. You, God has a claim on your life, all of it. He is, you are just to please him, to obey him, to trust him, to conform everything, all the, the entire schedule of your day, all of the money in your life, all your relationships. He is wholehearted. He's blameless, and he does what is right. He practices, he, he seeks to conform his heart to God's word, and to what is right is he learned that is to love my God with all my heart and all my soul. He depends on God in all things. His walks turns into these actions. He cares about others. He, we see the rest of this psalm is going to say he has relationships with other people that is clean and right. I just wonder where we are. Is your heart wholeheartedly towards the Lord? Mine isn't far too often. Oh, it can be off to sports or hobby. It can be off to my comfort. It can be off to just a lot of other things. And God, again, seems small. And this, 
This is a convicting passage that says, oh God, I, I do believe, I sense, I've seen your, your work in my life, I love you, but oh, I love you far too small. Oh God, I love your people, but I love them all far, far too, too little. God, my, you are, would you please change that so that you're all in all in my life. The man who fellowships with God, the woman that f- enjoys his presence, is the one who walks blamelessly, is wholehearted, and does what is right. And when he doesn't do what is right, when she is convicted of sin, she looks to God for forgiveness. It says that they speak truth in their heart. Really, this passage says they talk honestly. They speak truth in their heart. Does not slander with their tongue. Does no evil to his neighbor. Takes not up a reproach. Oh, these are marks of the people of God. Of which I must warn you today. And I pray that you'll hear this and confess. And you'll say, God, help me from the inside out to grow in these areas. He, he says they must, speaks truth in the heart, means they're real, they're not hypocrites. They speak truth, they, they're true to themselves, they're sincere, and they, when they speak truth, it's coming from their heart, and they're consistent, there's an integrity there, and it says they do not slander against their neighbor. It says here they don't do evil against their neighbor, and they don't take up a reproach against a friend. When somebody brings gossip or bad names somebody else, they, they know what to do. They don't go anywhere with that. In fact, they shoot it down right, right there. I, I can't think of a more helpful, practical, and convicting book than Jerry Bridges' Respectable Sins, The Sins We Accept. In that, he, said, he talks about the sins of the tongue, which this psalm does. Slander is making a false statement or misrepresentation about a person that defames or damages the person's reputation. Political campaigns, for example, are notorious for slandering opponents by falsely ascribing to the opponent a position based on statements taken out of context or based on some isolated event or act that happened years ago. It is such statements that are definitely aimed to create false, slanderous impressions. But do Christians slander? Yes, we do. We slander when we ascribe motives to people even though we can't see their hearts or know the particular circumstances in their lives. We slander when we say another believer is not committed when he or she does not practice the same things as we do in the Christian life in the exact same way. Christian activities we engage in, they don't do it, so we talk them down. We slander when we misrepresent another's position on a subject without first determining what the person's position is. We slander when we blow out of proportion another person's sin and make that person appear to be more sinful than he or But there are, of course, a lot of other forms of lying. We usually think of it as making a false statement, and probably most of us tend to guard against such speech. However, we're apt to lie through exaggeration, by a failure to tell the whole truth, by indulging and what we call a little white lie. What about gossip? Friends, we, we, all of us, myself included, we need to hear and listen up. Gossip is the spreading of unfavorable information about someone else, even if that information is actually true. Gossip is based on rumor often, which even makes it worse. Indulging in gossip 
seems to feed our sinful ego, especially when the information we're passing on is negative. It makes us feel self-righteous by comparison or we're the person in the know. And then there are times when we disguise gossip. I want to share with you a prayer request. If we know something negative about someone, we should pray about it. We should, don't need to spread it to everyone. Psalm Ephesians 4.29 tells us what kind of speech is to come out of our mouth. It tells us what to put on in our words. It is only such speech that builds up and gives to gossip or slander. We should ask ourselves, will what I say about this person tear them up or will it build them up? The Psalm 15 says, he does not take a reproach against his friend. What if somebody else this week what do you do when somebody gossips, starts gossiping, starts slandering, starts wor- using words of critical speech? Critical speech is also a sin where we, we didn't need to say it. It was just negative. It wasn't helpful. What should we do when we should, we should not take up a reproach against others? We should shut it down right there. What if when someone is gossiping or slandering or using critical speech in your life, you said something like, I don't want to wrongly interpret your motives, but the things that you're saying about so-and-so are making me feel uncomfortable. Or what if you said, it seems like this might need to be a conversation that you need to have with so-and-so. Or I don't feel comfortable having this conversation without so-and-so being here. Or I don't want to misinterpret you, but the things you're saying sounds dangerously close to gossip or or slander, or critical speech, perhaps we should talk about something else. You see, godliness, a mindset that God's always watching, and I want to show him off to others, is, God, I love you, and I will love others. They're put in my life to love them and to point them to you, and so my lips, my ways, my loyalty to one another, my care is to be all-encompassing, His walk is with integrity. His talk is with honesty. In this passage, we see his vote is with allegiance. Look at at verse 4. In whose eyes a vile person is despised, but who honors those who fear the Lord. Literally, this says, the godly man will hate what God hates and he will love what God loves. He will show an allegiance to God's people with a certain way that fear the Lord. This idea of the eye of a vile person is despised, does not mean he looks around and sees a sinner that's an obvious sinner and, and just despises him. No, that doesn't mean that we're to love people that are just messed up all the time. What he's saying is those who are vile and flaunting it and, just re- and, reje- and clearly rejected by God in the way they're acting, we are to show a type. We, we, we hate all, kind, all, all that kind of wickedness and we love the people of God this passage this I think the implications is we we don't friends we too often will watch sitcoms and movies and enjoy YouTube videos that are actually a vileness and making light of it and laughter of it this passage says the godly the blameless loves the righteous and loves righteousness his allegiance is to them
his devotions to them. And then he says his dealings is with honor, verse 5. Really, at the end of verse 4, he swears to his own hurt and does not change. What that means is he makes a vow to God. He makes a promise. In general, his yes is yes and his no is no. His promise in marriage is true. His promise in all things. How often have you made, said you'd do something, and your word, you just forgot and it's done. We all need to be really careful on that. You said you're going to pray, and you're going to pray. You said that you're going to follow through on a situation. You'll reach out. Do you do that? He swears to his own hurt. He, it, this idea is you made, a, you made even a dealing that you didn't foresee would actually turn out bad, but you made the promise, and even though it hurts, you're going to keep your promise, even if it will put you in a hard and a painful and a difficult situation because your, your dealings are with honor because the Lord is what keeps his word. And it says he does not put out money at interest. Now, if you're sitting here saying, oh, man, I, I once lent somebody and I charged some interest. Well, is that what that's talking about? Maybe. But in reality, the Old Testament forbid Jews to actually charge interest to fellow Jews, especially in situations. It was, it, it was particular because they would be in situations where poverty caused them a tight a dead kind of debtedness, and it would cause them to be like a slave to them. Often it was 50% interest, and they would basically cause them so that they couldn't even pay back. We should never be in a place where we are greedy. And so when we have a friend or somebody in need, we should help them and lend, but not charge interest. We should care for them and, and have a generous heart, I think is the mindset here, and not a stingy and greedy heart. And we are to not take, he says, and they do not take a bribe against the innocent. Are you speaking to those that are probably more wealthy, who has the ability to make a loan and give a loan, and those that potentially be bribed, but we are to be impartial. We are to not be bought. A godly man or woman cannot be bought. No, their integrity matters. God is their judge, and the people around them, whether rich or poor, are people in their lives. They will not be bought by flattery or by money, but they will care for everyone. Oh, I, there's so much in these, past, these verses. These verses should cause us to sit before the word and say, God, forgive me, help me, change me. And he gives a promise at the end of these, this psalm. He says, it's an assured promise. He who does these things shall never be moved. The point here is that they remain anchored to the unmovable God who has loved them and given himself for them. The shaken and moved are those who seek to live their lives based on their own way and their own words. They'll be crushed. They'll be driven by the wind and tossed. You see, the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. The godly are anchored in the unmovable God whom they take refuge in. And this psalm should make us all believers, those who are believers, bow before this before this God and say, oh God, I want to be in your presence. I thank you for saving me. Oh God, this is, this is a reflection of what honors you. Oh God, help me to be blameless in my life and do what is right and speak truth to my neighbor and be honorable in all these things for your sake. Oh God, I need you. I need you. If you're so far from that to the point where you're saying, none of these things are true. I don't have desires for God. 
I pray to prayer. I know that him. if he's not, he, if he isn't been your God that you love, it very well be that you prayed a prayer, but you were never saved. You know, there are people all of the time in the church who get saved at many ages, different stages of their life, and they look back and say, I thought I was saved, but God woke me up when I was 70. God rescued me after thinking I was a believer for 50 years, and now at 60, I know him because I now love him, and he has made this impact in my heart, evidenced by the beginnings of these things in our lives. How is the CT scan of your soul going? Are our hearts wholeheartedly to the Lord? Do you desire to please him with all that you are? I don't. I want to be there. If you want it, that's a good sign. Does it grieve you that you're not there? That's a good sign. Do you ask God to help you? Do you care to do what is right even when no one is looking? Because you want to please him. You're not like, look at me. It's God. He's watching. Do you care? It's just easy to lie because it's just more comfortable. Do you love the gospel? Do you engage in, or do you engage in critical speech? And if you do, when you do, does it convict you? Is it convicting you now? Do you love the people of God that you are called to be loyal to with your words? Do you love the things of this world, the entertainment of the world that shakes its fist in God and that is where you feed? Do you keep your promises at great cost? Remember, these verses are not a to-do list for gaining salvation, but a description of what salvation brings to us in our lives. It's not merely a checklist to obtain God's favor, but it is a mark or characteristic of those who longs to be in the God's fellowship. Oh, may it cause our hearts to examine and confess and repent. If we say, John says, if we say that we have fellowship with God and we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light, as he is in light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of his son cleanses us from our sins. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. But if we confess our sins... He is faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. My little children, John says, I'm writing these things to you so that you will not sin. But if you do sin, you have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. He is the propitiation for our sins and not for ours only, for for the sins of the whole world. Whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments, he's a... He's a liar, and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word, in him truly the love of God is perfected. By this we know that we are of him. We're in him. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way as he. Whoever says, I know God, but does not keep God's commandments is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word, in him truly the love of God has already been perfected. By this we know that we're in him. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. 
I'm going to invite the worship team to come forward as we conclude. Father, oh God, I pray that you would mercifully and graciously just give a spiritual shower, spiritual healing to the members of our church, including this pastor. As we bow before you, I pray, God, that we would We would be humble and changing and repenting and thankful to you for your forgiveness. God, thank you that we can walk home today, drive home today, and, and rejoice in your grace. God, I pray that you'd clean our words and our walk and our dealings and our, our vote, our allegiance. God, I pray that there would be you would take someone that's listening online or someone that's here this morning. Would you speak directly to them and would you call them to yourself and I pray that they would be saved and they would believe you and they would know maybe for the first time that you are their God and Jesus is their Savior and they want you for your sake and they want the forgiveness that's in Jesus. That's a miracle that you do, and I pray that you would give that to them right now or very soon. Oh, God, I pray that we'd respond with worship and faith in you as we sing. In Jesus' name, amen.